0: Hello and welcome you're listening to building with people for people the unfiltered build podcast where we talk to people behind the tech explore their journeys and make sense of what and how we build through a human lens i'm your host nigel finley let's say you work on a team and you have a bunch of services how do you share knowledge about the important parts of how things work I would hope documentation is the answer and not tribal knowledge, but good documentation can be hard. So is communication, and so continuing to grow your career when there are so many directions you can go. In today's show, we're joined by a guest who gives us tips and tricks on better ways to create sustainable documentation, thoughts on how to communicate effectively, especially in an interview setting, and shares a continuous learning framework he uses to help him grow. Our guest today believes the software we use should feel natively human and engage us both emotionally and cognitively. He has over 15 years experience managing engineers and designers and has worked in all sorts of industries, including internet SaaS, government contracting, cybersecurity, medical and health, education, and more. Currently, he's an engineering manager at Glassdoor, is the host of the podcast Webjoy, and a mentor for Colab Lab and adplist.org. When he's not helping engineers grow their career with empathy, he spends his time with his three kids, a five-month-old, a three-year-old, and a four-year-old, no doubt a busy household. He's also an avid reader and has even completed reading 52 books in one year. In his words, if we aren't learning, we're stagnating. On that note,
1: let's learn. Please welcome Eddie Hinkle to the show. Eddie, so glad to have you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. You know, I like to start the
0: show off by exploring with our guests sort of their journey into into tech. And you're now an engineering manager at Glassdoor. Congrats, by the way, on the on the new role. Thank you. I'm uh, I'm curious. Take us on a journey. How you got to where you are, and how you got into tech?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's been it's been a long journey. I've been into tech for a long time. Uh, You know, it started off as a hobby. Um, So I'll try to take us on an airplane, like you know, hundred thousand foot view. So I don't get in the weeds too much, but uh, maybe we get a a feel for the trajectory. Um, So yeah, I mean, I was always into tech as a kid. I was actually homeschooled, so I had a lot of free time on my hands. So because of that. Um, one day I realized I could use Microsoft Publisher, right? Which is like kind of like an early version of Microsoft Word. I mean, I don't know that Publisher even exists anymore. Um, and it was, you know, it was for doing like newsletters, like physical paper newsletters. Like it literally gave you a single page that you had to design. And it had an output to HTML option. It was not good. It, was not semantic HTML. It was a horrible <laughs> mess. But it gave you HTML files and some other random junk. I have no idea what it is now that like you could throw into a web server. And you had a website. And so that was fun. That was kind of my first, like, you know, whizzy wig. What you see is what you get. Like, I designed some pages on Microsoft Publisher and then output it. And I had a website. And that felt magical as, like... I don't know, a 13 year old, you know, um, especially since, I mean, putting stuff on the internet, you know, it was before web 2.0. So like people didn't put stuff on the internet really. Like it felt like I had magical powers. <laughs> yeah. And
0: as a kid, I'm sure that's just gotta
1: be so amazing. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, that really kind of started an interest for me. So I got into some IDEs and learned HTML um, and that kind of took over the next couple of years, you know, just hobby here and there. But when I was 16, a message board site that I was part of was shutting down and we didn't have anywhere to go. Um, you know, the financial incentives weren't there anymore for them. And so I grabbed a PHP open source software called PHP BB um, for bulletin board. And I threw it on uh, like $5 or $10 a month hosting plan. And that was my first time actually touching like PHP, right? Like a dynamic language that you would program in. And I had to solve things and install plugins and eventually customize plugins. And that was where I actually realized, hey, there's more to this than just a static HTML page. And so um, that kind of kicked it off from there. Like I started freelancing, um, online marketplace that led into freelancing with real life connections with people um Mm. and that kind of took me through those later stages of high school and like i don't know around 19 or 20 or so like i met a guy who was trying to build a surfing social network because i was in hawaii Uh, it was called world surf engine and he needed someone to build it and i had been freelancing with people i'd freelanced with him on some other marketing web pages for some other things he did. And so he said, "Hey, like you want to help build this and it didn't end up going anywhere. I mean, you know, Facebook had kind of just opened up beyond uh the colleges, so people realized social networks were the future. Obviously, every, pretty much every social network except Facebook died. <laughs> yeah. But I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Yeah. So it was really fun. Amazing. Well,
0: thank you for sharing. Yeah. And now you're now you're at Glassdoor. Yep. So before we kind of dig into what you're doing uh, and sort of your philosophy as a manager, what is Glassdoor and kind of what services do you provide?
1: Absolutely. So Glassdoor's vision, um, and I love it. So I'm gonna kind of give the the company line because it's part of what sold me on the company is to help you find a job and company that loves you back. Mm. Um, and that, that's really powerful for me. They originally had a vision of like helping you find a a job that you love, but really, you know, the thing that keeps you, the thing that's powerful is when they actually are the right environment for you. Um, and that they actually show you that back. So, um, you know, the company does that by powering anonymous conversations, right. About what Mm. it's really like to work at a company. So the bread and butter right? They started with company reviews where someone could go on, type an anonymous review and say, this is what it's like to work at this company. Um, Then they added interview reviews. So you could understand what the interview process was like. And if it was going to be a headache, if it was worth it, like maybe the company is really fun to work at, but the interview process is horrible. And like half the people get ghosted, you probably don't want to do that. Um, And last year, we expanded um we bought a anonymous professional social network um called Fishbowl and so over the last year we've been integrating that into the Glassdoor ecosystem and um really making it beyond just doing reviews like you can ask questions of people and tag a company and say hey people at Google what's it like to do x y and z and you can get anonymous you know responses from people at that company Um, so you really it gives you a much deeper view than just seeing what people reviewed over the last couple years you can actually ask questions and engage um, all anonymous anonymously and really know what it is like to work there so that's really amazing I think
0: there's been you know such a huge shift you know within the last 10-15 years around really the the work that you do every day is much more of a two-way street between the employees and the employers you know and so it's it's nice to yeah i I agree it must be nice to work for a company that's really trying to help people find that
1: yeah absolutely it's funny because you know i worked at another company before this and um part of the reason i left was because i was you know i was telling them i was underpaid and i used Glassdoor as the (laughs) mechanism to show that i was underpaid and it's funny because i didn't think about it during my job search i mean i Um, Just put out a tweet the other day, like I applied to 63 companies over 90 days. Like it was a it was a wide search, but um, Glassdoor was the one that kind of pulled at my heartstrings and I accepted the job. And afterwards, I looked back and I was like, oh, wait, I'm working at the company that like inspired me to like not be happy where I was. And so that was really funny kind of full circle thing. And just, yeah, I experienced the value and power of Glassdoor. And so it was exciting to actually be part of it.
0: That's really wonderful. It's nice to see that. Yeah. That full circle experience and, you know, land on your feet in a place that truly makes your heart sink. So yeah, congratulations. Thanks. And so, so you're a manager of design system and front end foundations. What does that mean?
1: And what is it that you're, that you're doing? (laughs) It's a mouthful. Uh, (laughs) you know let's be honest there was two things that we needed to be accomplished and they said well we don't really have enough people to do two teams so let's make one team and we'll just smush it all together (laughs) (laughs) um you know in a we we aren't the smallest company but we're also not you know google size so um in another company this would probably be two different teams we kind of have two different you know focuses that are compatible but um the first one is really building and maintaining a design system and a component library. So, mm-hmm. you know, we build common elements that exist throughout the site and we maintain them in w- with one team in one location. Um, and we kind of view that as kind of an internal open source project. So um, it's not that we are the only ones who can make changes, but we're the ones who built the foundation, sets the accessibility requirements, you know, says this is the type of stuff we need. And then as people realize that, hey, this needs to adapt to this, you know, thing, they can, you know, open a merge request and we'll review it. And if, you know, if they're trying to cheat the system somehow and it's like, oh no, we you're not supposed to be able to do that. Like we can stop it. Um so yeah, so that's really one thing there, just powering designers and developers, a front end developers to, you know, keep them Common view um, across the site. And the second area, the front end foundations, is really about front end developer efficiency. So we mm-hmm. have a bunch of microservices throughout the company, and currently it's powered by a homegrown Node.js framework. Um, so we are actually shifting that to Next.js. And so my team had to figure out, okay, how are we going to, you know, make that shift? What things do we need to add to Next.js in the form of libraries and plugins and stuff so that it does everything that our homegrown one does? Um, So that's, you know, a big, exciting initiative. But at the end of the day, the team is really just focused on empowering front-end engineers to build things faster and easier. Um, So I really view our work as a type of catalyst. And
0: just kind of a random technical question, what was the impetus to choose Next.js?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so we do need server-side rendering. Um, some of the newer ones that have just came out were a little bit too new, right? Like Remix and some of the kind of siblings among Remix. And so we wanted something that did server-side rendering but had been around long enough that like was pretty stable and we could depend on. So that's kind of how we ended up with Next.js.
0: Yeah, I asked because we're actually going through a similar thing, and we've actually also landed on Next.js for very similar reasons. So that's yeah, that's interesting to, to hear to hear your thoughts around that. Yeah. So I mean that all yeah that all sounds really amazing, and I think having those design systems that are unified across teams is extremely helpful, both from a efficiency perspective and also just a consistency perspective. You so in addition to that, you're also you know managing managing people. And on your website, you actually talk about managing people through a human-centered interaction paradigm. Tell us, tell us what this is and how, how you implement it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the thing is, I think a lot of management right at different companies is focused on what's best for first of all the manager right like they they're thinking about them and their career and secondarily it's what's best for the company right do you need people to work extra hours and you know they're going to burn out and stuff because you're trying to get a shipment out but i really view that and Glassdoor agrees with me, which is why I work there, Um, you know, (laughs) that what's best for the company is to have happy, healthy and thriving employees, right? And so as a manager, I should be looking at my, you know, direct reports as a human, right? When I communicate Mm with them, you know, they're a human, they have a family, they have pets, they have good days and they have bad days, right? When they mess up or something doesn't go as planned, right? That doesn't mean they're incompetent. That means maybe they have a lot going on in their personal life. And, you know, maybe the new baby kept them up all night or maybe their dog is about to pass away. And like, they're really in an emotional spot. And remembering that there is a world of a human outside of these individual singular actions. Um, I think it's super important, especially over the last several years. I mean, with the pandemic and everything that's been happening there, there's so much that went on in people's lives that we couldn't necessarily know. And the best thing that we could do is just say, Hey, like, how are you doing? How can I help you? How can I support you? Um, you know, both in their day-to-day work, right? Like, do you have too much of a workload? Do we need to take some of these tasks off you, like checking in on how they're feeling, supporting them in their long-term career plans? Where do you want to go? And is the job you're doing today going to get you there? Um, Because if it's not getting them where they want to go, they're not going to stay with us. And, you know, this is important for the company because, one of the worst things for a company is to have a lot of turnover. It costs more money, it burns more time. And so it's better for the you know, it's not, of course, I'm it's a human centered paradigm, because I want to take care of people. But it's also because I want to take care of the company, right. And it's in our best interest that people aren't burning out and, you know, turning over all the time. And so that's how I kind of view that it's it's in their interest it's in the company's interest and that ultimately means it's in my interest as the bridge between my people and my company
0: yeah it's kind of you know sort of flipping that old paradigm of you know stakeholder value right and how do you drive stakeholder value well in this case it's human capital yeah that really is the most important thing and if you take care of your people then inherently you're going to have great output exactly uh, and I think that that, that just makes so much sense and it's just it's kind of funny to me that it's taken us you know so long to kind of uh, get to that point because when you have happy humans you're gonna you're gonna create some really amazing things
1: exactly absolutely
0: speaking of creating things oftentimes when you create new services when you create new design systems you need to have a paper trail right documentation to help others understand how things work and you have sort of a framework in which you think about different types of documentation. I believe you have five different types of essential documentation for a software engineer. Tell us what these are. Let's let's walk through them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll I'll give us an overview of the five and then we can figure out if we want to dive more in. Um And this documentation, you know, is partially for the company, but also it's for the engineer themselves. Um, So it may be a little bit different than people might initially think when they think of documentation. But um, yeah, the first thing is obviously documenting your code. (laughs) That one is very obvious, right? You're building code. You got to put some documentation in it so that you understand what's happening there and more importantly, why it's happening. Uh, secondly is documenting your and the company's processes, right? You do things a certain way, your team does things a certain way, and the company does things a certain way. And understanding what is expected, what happens, and what why that's happening are definitely important um, particularly for new hires right when they're like they can look at yeah. the code and figure that out but they can't figure out why you're meeting every so many days or you know what they need to do to get the code from their computer to production right um, the third one is documenting your day so this starts to kind of diverge into a different direction than you would expect. But I actually keep a daily log. Um, I use software called reflect um, and it basically creates a new like document or sheet for every day. Um, And it's one of those like second brain tools where you can link out and do like networked notes and stuff. Um, But the thing that powers it is every day it automatically creates that note and everything that happens throughout that day is just a bullet point in that note. Um, So meetings I have tasks I need to do, random thoughts that pop in my head, it all ends up there. And I'm able to go through that later. And you know, when I'm having conversations with people, I can be like, Oh, yeah, I remember and I can easily look up information. So that is, um, that's huge. And fourth, is documenting your successes and failures. So oftentimes, right, we go throughout our year, and then suddenly, boom, it's performance review time. This is (laughs) actually on my mind right now, because we're doing self reviews, it's performance time at my current company. Um, And so if you document your successes and failures, like while you're going throughout the year, then it's not going to be hard to figure out what to do. Because performance reviews... They always ask you what you've done. And typically you can think of some of the big stuff you did, but then it also asks you, what are you going to do differently? And that's where your failures come in, right? To actually say, Oh, yeah, actually, I did this project. It could have been smoother if I had done this. And that really makes for a powerful self-evaluation, um, whether it's annual or semi-annual review process. Um, and I actually build those into my daily log, right? So, Um, You could keep it part of a separate document, but um, yeah. And um, I guess fifth thing, and then we can loop back and talk about whatever we want, but it's document your concerns. This one is so important. Hmm. Only you can protect yourself. The thing is, while most employers do have your best interests in heart, you never know when there's going to be an issue between you and your company, right? Particularly if your managers might change and maybe the new manager doesn't like you, or has something against you, um, or you know, there's all sorts of you know diversity and you know biases that come into play. And when you document any concerns that come up throughout the company, any potential negative actions, having that documentation is going to be your saving grace. Um, in the past, I have had to deal with legal stuff with a company in the past um and utilizing that written documentation to be able to say no on this day this happened and on this day this happened and here's the reviews I got here but you know now this is being said of me and showing the conflict in those details empowers you and or any lawyers you hopefully don't need in the future, but like, yeah, it's so important. Um, so yeah, definitely document that stuff and, and just remember that like things can change and you have what you need to be able to protect yourself. I love it.
0: Yeah. Let's loop back. Cause I have some questions.
1: Yeah. Sounds good. Okay.
0: So starting with the documenting your code. Yeah. So I know there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, different thoughts around what that means, you know, one area and, and sort of I'm I'm of this opinion is that you know trying to write your code in a way that is self-documenting but using comments to help identify maybe a business reason why it was done this way or describing some sort of logic that doesn't really may not actually make sense just through you know the function that you're writing because of some external data that you're getting or some weird business logic um what are your thoughts on kind of how you document your code yeah so
1: you just described pretty much everything that i do uh, <laughs> no so yeah i think you know you want it to be self-documenting right so i think that involves a couple of steps right first are your variable names clear you know it can be really tempting on a loop to just be like, oh, X and Y on this loop, you know? But it makes a lot more sense if that loop is, you know, employee, you know? And then the loop is employee ID or, or you know, the index is employee ID. Like, that just helps readability when you're reading through it. Um, but beyond variable names, which is, you know, pretty simple, think about what areas have complex code, right? And sometimes you look at something and... This code isn't used anywhere else. And normally people say, well, only create a function when something is used in two places. But I think functions actually serve another goal, which is to abstract complex code. So if you're reading down your code and you know everything is kind of high level, and then suddenly you have like 10 lines of really complex stuff that just mm. even with good variable names overwhelms someone reading it. It's best to pull that off into a function, give that function a good name, a good descriptive name, and then throw that in there because then when you're reading kind of the main higher level function, you're just seeing what's happening, and then if they want the details, they can click on that function name and actually see what that function is defined as, yeah write
0: for your write your code for your future self or others exactly right? <laughs> yeah,
1: and yeah. The third there is, yeah, eventually there's no way around it. There's going to be complex code. APIs do weird things. Some APIs give you back, you know, dates in string form of like year and month. That does happen at Glassdoor. And other APIs give you back ISO 8601 or whatever. And sometimes you have to explain why am I doing a plus or minus one on an index in an array Mm when going through a loop, right? Like no one understands why that's happening. There's probably some really weird API reason for that. Like just jot a quick note and say, this is doing this really weird thing. Don't, it's not broken. Like it looks broken. It's not. Leave it alone unless you know what you're doing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a perfect example. I feel like when time comes into play, there's often some explanations around why things may look a little strange. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Okay, so documenting your day uh, for, your, for your third type of documentation with the tool that you use, reflect how, so let's say, let's say, you know, you, you've, you've written all your notes for a week and then the following week you want to come back and look up something. What is the discoverability for those notes and how does that work? Because you said it's a second brain tool. Talk to me a little bit about kind of how all those things connect together so that you can pull out some of this information for later use.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, you create you know, additional notes for... Anything that, like, they say, like, any person, place, or thing. And so, for example, you do that, you know, standard two left brackets, and then whatever you type becomes, you know, this linked note. So it's really easy to create a note for something. So you tag all the people, right? You tag all the projects. um, And then when you go to that project note, it shows all the backlinks. And it Mm. shows... More important than just that line and like say a line or two after because it's um, really pretty, you don't have to do everything in bullets, but that's how it wants you to. Mm. And everything that's a sub bullet gets shown in that backlink. So if you have a backlink that says, you know, meeting about new project and new project is a link, then you, you know, tab in. So you're doing some sub notes. All of those sub notes are, you know, seen as part of that bullet meeting about new project so when you go and look at new project you're going to see all those backlinks in there um so that's a, a big thing and they also have like calendar integration so when i'm going throughout my day it actually um it has all my google calendar things and i click the plus button and it automatically adds that bullet it says meeting the time meeting with, and then it actually grabs all the names of the attendees. And it even looks at like which attendees said, yes, they're coming and no. So if they click, no, they're not coming. They don't appear in the list. So you get a list of only the people who confirmed that they're coming with an X. If you say, I never work with this person. I don't actually want to add them into my system. It mm. automatically creates a note for them. If it doesn't exist already or connects it, if it does, adds those links in that, you know, single bullet. And then also if it's a recurring meeting creates or links to a note of that meeting name. So like I have one-to-ones with my team members every week. And so it says, Oh, meeting with, you know, person's name for, and then, you know, one-to-one Eddie and -and so-and-so's name. And so Mm -hmm. I have, I can look at that note and see every note I took from our one-to-one meeting. Or I can click on their name and see every meeting I've been in with them recently. Hmm. Um, And this becomes more powerful. I'll mention this thing. When I know I have to mention something to someone, like the next time I'm in a meeting with them, again, you jot down everything on the day that you think it. So on that day, I say, oh, I need to tell, you know, and then link to that person. And then I do a sub bullet and I type in whatever I need to tell them because then that links to them. So when I'm going to meet with someone, I can go to their note and say, okay, have I added any notes recently about things I need to follow up with them on or touch base on? So that's super useful.
0: And anybody else on your team use this? Like how, so you kind of, this is, right now you're kind of describing it as sort of like this personal tool to help you manage your your communication with others and you know your thoughts and concerns and things. Is there sort of this intersection between making, going from private to public to start using it for documentation for company processes or discoverability for different ways that people might look up something, right? Like the traditional file system is only as helpful as the context that those people who have created it, right? Because other people may not find it useful and may not know how to search things. But something like this second brain tool where you type in a thought or an idea and because of that graph model, right, and being able to search different ways it's much more discoverable. Do you use this in any way to kind of as a, as more of a public idea or is that even possible? That's a great question.
1: Um, so no, I do just use it for private. Um, I believe you can like share a note, but I don't think you can share like the entire brain Mm -hmm. publicly. Um, really I use it as a tool to think and to process. That's actually their byline is something about thinking, (laughs) um, right. Like, and so ultimately, like I will jot down notes for something that will go into a document, right. Or that will Mm, become an email. So it definitely feeds into that public documentation, but it's a, it's a place where I can just jot down everything in my mind, build things, process things think it through, and then refine it outward into a public-facing thing.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I think I'm going to have to check this out because this is definitely something that I've been kind of struggling with across, you know, just like random node apps, our HR system that we use for one-on-ones and just kind of being able to resurface a lot of these things. And this is sounding like it's just slotting right in there perfectly. Nice. You talk about, we talk a little bit about public documentation and discoverability uh, one thing that our org is you know, continually trying to work on is how do we make documentation discoverable, usable, and maintainable? Uh, have you found any ways or, or things that you've done to sort of satisfy these requirements?
1: Yeah, so I think there's a, there's a couple of questions there, right? Like when you're going to document something publicly for people, you have to kind of ask yourself, who is your audience? Um, we actually recently dealt with this in our design system. We were saying, okay, what tool do we need to use? Because we're actually doing our design system from scratch. What tool do we need to use in order to you know, document this? And the next question was in the meeting, well, I asked, who is this documentation for? Like, who's going to be writing it? Is it just our team? Or do the people contributing to our open source project need to be able to contribute to it? And then secondly... Who is consuming it? Is it, you know, just us? Is it just the designers in the company? Is it all of the company, including, like, marketing? Or is it even supposed to be public? Like, is this something that, you know, should be out there? And it's interesting because... Um, Some of the initial people did mention, actually, we do view this as a public thing that, you know, designers and developers who are interested in working with us should be able to see what our design system looks like. And that should be part of, you know, an exciting thing to come and work for us. And most of the people in the meeting did not expect it to be public. They thought it would be like company wide. So like Mm -hmm. that was a important like distinction that changed what it is we used right it's not something that can be behind the vpn like this needs to be able to be deployed on a public server so i think that's a a essential step and besides that it really comes down to like you we have a wiki and it's not good no wikis are good You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) wikis get so much information in them that, like, you know, a tool like Reflect is helpful for you to put everything that you think of in it because it's your tool and it does stuff to help you with that. Um, It would be interesting to see, like, a company tool that had more uh, second brain type material. But until that happens, um, I believe in more refined documentation. So we actually, um, for our engineering documentation, use DocuSource, um, which is like markdown, mm. you know, documentation website generator thing. And the key is that you have to open a you doc, write your documentation, you open a pull request, and then anyone who has dealt with that documentation should look at that pull request. So, you know, if you're documenting A/B testing and experimentation, and you see two people have, you know, in the markdown file they note who has contributed. So you see two contributors to the experimentation. You tag both of them in your, um, you know, in your mm-hmm. PR, and that is to make sure that we're putting high quality documentation out there, because when you're a new person at a company you can't swim through thousands and thousands of pages, right? Of like different people's thoughts at the company. Like instead you need to know what are the 10 steps I need to do X, right? Should I do it this way or should I do it that way? And so for that public documentation, I think it's actually really important that it's clear and refined and you have multiple people kind of speaking into that um, to help refine it more like a tutorial or a book. So
0: you kind of mentioned sort of there's sort of two levels of documentation here. So with this docusaurus, what I'm hearing is, is, is and correct me if I'm wrong, is this more of kind of like, this is sort of the internal dev type documentation yeah? where it's kind of like close to the code about processes around how you deploy, how you run certain things. Is that—is that kind of is that, is that yeah, accurate?
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. How do you get your development machine set up? How do you push to prod? Um, if you need to do a B testing and you've never done that before, what's the tool we use? How do you set up that tool? What are your options? Yeah. Okay. And so
0: the design
1: systems that,
0: that you've been creating, that has been because you identified that that is external, then that drives the way that you build those systems slightly differently. Yeah. Right. I guess what I'm getting at is discoverability when you look at the audience and when you talk about stakeholders, when you talk about external non-tech stakeholders, um, is it just, does it just kind of become, I guess my question is, how do you make it easy for product folks, for example, to find things that they might need to know about your code? I mean, would you kind of draw that line at, okay, when we're making this documentation, you think about the audience And then based on that, that's how we serve, serve the content.
1: Exactly. So yeah, like that's what, um, like, right. All of our engineering documentation is very technical, um, very in the weeds, right? You can't, there's no way to like easily repackage that for a non-technical audience, which is why that first question of like, who is this for is so, you know, essential, so then our design system, right, that talks more about like, oh, like we're not really discussing many of the technical aspects. Um, there is like some code to be able to say, oh, copy this code into this behind a tab. It like shows you here's the visual element and then you can click a code tab and then copy the code and put it into your IDE um, if you want to use that. Element, but even the default of that is we're not going to show you the code by default first. We're going to show you the interactive element because product Mm -hmm. and design and even engineering, they need to see what is this button, right? What are our button options? There's five, right? And it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, which of these buttons looks a certain way, gives a certain vibe, and is used for a certain purpose? Like, why one button versus another button? I just chose the number five. We don't actually have five buttons. (laughs) Um, But You know, why choose one button over the other button and the rationale and right, the product and designers think much more about who is the user of our software and what is the experience they're having and so that documentation and design system is much more focused on oh, someone needs to confirm something or someone is do- taking a destructive action. So you need this button because this kind of warns them of the destructive action and maybe has a confirmation stage and talking through the user need of these different tools as opposed to the technical need of the tools, which is more the, the engineering.
0: So there's a little bit about kind of communication here between folks um, and and sort of representing the documentation and, and the systems that are created. and there's a law, it's Conway's law that states organizations, dis organizations design systems that mirror their own communication structure. I'm curious if you have found this to be true and how have you kind of helped ensure that communication is better to ensure that the designs systems that are created are actually more useful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think 100%, like I agree with that. Um, Glassdoor is going through this interesting transition where it's kind of been like this smaller company, um, you know, with less teams and like a lot of kind of intercommunication. And that led to a couple of things, right? One, kind of people having more information than the documentation right it's like oh how does you know one one reason we're moving away from our homegrown node.js tool to nextjs is because we start having a lot of new people and like you know people are at the company a while they want to experience something new um, and we realized that the number of people who understood our homegrown tool was reducing while the number of people who were like i know nothing about this homegrown tool we're increasing right that's mm. not a good thing so we had a decision do we put in the work and effort to document and make the homegrown tool like effectively an open source you know thing with good documentation and you know put a whole team behind building this thing or do we find a open source tool that already has all that documentation that, right. That's not something we have to do. Um, but yeah. And similarly, like we have, you know, a wiki that kind of when you're a smaller company and you have smaller information and you have like a couple teams, like a wiki is a decent tool to be able to manage it. But as we've been growing as a company over the last several years, all of that has kind of the information has ballooned and the number of people in the loop has bloomed. And that was one reason we moved towards this docusaurus where people actually, you know, will review Mm -hmm. new documentation because it's like, okay, when you only have 10 people, you can probably have everyone contribute. And it's not a big deal. When you have, you know, a hundred people, like you need to have some filters. And so I do think that you know you have to adapt for and sometimes figure out how to change your communication structure right we've talked about internally like we like there's a push for documentation at the company right now because we realize that everyone has kept things in their head and then they change teams and it's like well now you're slowing down two teams because one team has to reach out to the second team to figure out like how this thing works that the other person used to use so by documenting things we allow all the teams to move faster more independently and as people come and go from the company you know as a natural cycle like we're not losing any of that essential knowledge so um yeah i think i think most of the time the communication structure matches even more than the Organizational design, like the organizational flaws. Every organization has flaws, and I think mm. you see <laughs> that most come out in the communication structures.
0: Yeah, yeah, I find that so fascinating, right? Because we're we're building tech, right? But so much of what we're doing is actually about humans. <laughs> yeah, um, how we communicate, how we interact together, the thoughts that we have. Yeah, yeah, which is a big part of the reason why. Uh, I started this podcast. And, well, I'm super stoked that you're here because I think we have, you know, very similar feelings and, and, and we're in alignment around just that, just that whole human aspect uh, of tech. Absolutely. Okay. So we talked documentation, right? Which is kind of, you know, you mentioned your sort of private notes, how you're kind of thinking about the thoughts in your head, translating them to paper for future reference. It's a form of communication right? There's also sort of communicating to others and communicating in interviews. Um, and something that I know you are interested in is, uh, and sharing with us is sort of tips around how do we communicate better with others and in interviews? Um, walk us kind of through, through your thoughts there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think one key thing to think about is, All of this plays together, right? Um, Like you said, you in an interview, one of the worst things that can happen, particularly technical interviews, is you go in there and they say, build this thing, right? Solve this problem. And you're like, all right. And you look down at your keyboard, and you start typing, and you start thinking, and you start typing, and you finish it. And you're like, done. And they're like, all right. And then you never get a call back. And you think, I just must have... So Like, I, I swear I solved it right. Like, what happened? And it was never a technical problem. It was a communication problem. Because mm. what they're trying to do in this interview is not, like, see, like, yes, they have a, you know, a solution in mind, but they care less about the ultimate solution you come to and how close it matches their quote, quote, answer key, and more about how did you get there? What did you think about? What did you approach? How do you collaborate? Right? Because building software, like you said, it's a human thing. We've got teams, we've got, you know, we've got product managers, we've got designers, we have other engineers, front and back and more multiple front end engineers. And we have to work together and communicate all that information to get something built. And so your interviewer is trying to figure out how do you think. Are you adaptable? Are you able to, you know, figure things out on the fly? Do you consider the bigger aspect before you narrow in on the problem? And are you able to work with someone to make sure that the solution matches exactly? what needs to be matched, right? Are you asking them questions and, and different things like that? So they want to see your collaboration. Um, so like all of that takes part in this like 45 minutes that you have to show them you know, your hours and hours and hours of work. So um, you really, I think by taking daily log notes and refining your communication, um, that really does play into doing well on interviews because you need to be able to communicate
0: yeah, and so another kind of part of this, right, is to be able to communicate as you're writing all of this documentation and reflecting on your days. You know, a part of that is is learning, right, and and continuing to grow. And as we talked about in the beginning, you know, you said if if, if we're not learning, we're we're stagnating. So you've kind of talked about in our in our previous conversations and and when you first reached out to me about this continuous learning framework that you've used to help yourself grow and to help your team grow what what does this look like
1: yeah absolutely so i think there's there's four key aspects to really empower you to learn continuously right and i think oftentimes we really just think of one so the one we always think of is education, right? That is a discrete events. You follow a tutorial, you watch a YouTube video, you take an online course. And these are essential. I mean, you can't have continuous learning without education. That's definitely like, <laughs> that's a fundamental part. Um, so yes, do that. But I think there's also a couple of things that we don't think about. One is experience, right? What happens over the course of your regular working hours, right? Are you investigating new potential technology for the company? Are you trying to figure out how you can implement a CICD pipeline to make your deployments easier? If the workday isn't designed to give opportunities to learn, then that's going to have a significant you know, drawback, like you're not going to be learning new things um, and like, that means you have to experientially learn, right? Like, yeah, you might watch a video or do a tutorial, but you need to actually be able to try that out locally. Right. Um, and I mean that even side tangent that even goes into how are things structured internally, right? If you have a big monolithic app that everyone's terrified to like touch, no one's going to try anything new. Um, we have semi-annual hackathons um at glassdoor and so the other the last time we did a hack it was like okay like what if we you know my team was like what if we did a different onboarding flow and so i actually was like you know what how can i spin up something quick if i go in and i try to actually build this in our current ui system i thought it's not going to go super, you know, it's going to slow <laughs> things down. Cause I'm trying to like do all the variables and everything proper. So I thought, let me just, I've been interested in remix. I've watched a ton of videos on it. I just spun up a new remix instance, um, to kind of just see what it was like to use to build a new project. And I actually built out the project really fast and I got some experience with remix and it was really fun. Mm. Um, and so it was, it was beneficial in multiple ways. Right. Um, I did have an output that like was very company related, but I also got this new experience with Remix and um and that was really enjoyable. So, I think that's definitely a key thing and if you're a manager or someone who structures like the teams like cadence, you've got to build in that time that your team can actually investigate something or learn something and figure out new and better ways to do the things that they're doing every day. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, so tutorials and then putting that to work in what can hopefully be your already work setting. Um, is anything else kind of help with this continuing process?
1: Yeah, Yeah. I'd say the next thing is exposure, right? What relationships do you have, right? Are you talking to your coworkers, right? Especially maybe across the company about their tech, um, Do you have other friends in the tech industry at different companies? Are you engaging with people on, say, tech Twitter, right? Or LinkedIn? Do you have a mentor? Exposure to different ways of thinking about things is a fundamental aspect of how we learn, right? Because everything else is like, you know, trainings. And then your experimentation, but then other people also help you learn. So by making sure you're not always around the same people and you're having these interesting conversations, that's going to create more exposure for the different things you learn and create new ideas for other stuff you can learn. And I would say finally, the last one is environment. Right? We work with different technologies at the work, um, and if you know, if your whole company is using really old outdated technology, then the environment is not going to be one where you can learn a bunch of new things. Right. Um, that is a big reason we're moving away from right, our homegrown framework to Next.js because Next.js has TypeScript support. Next.js, right, is out there in public. By having our developers using TypeScript and Next.js, they're going to learn a lot more and they're going to be able to use those skills to learn other things from online, right, that are relevant. And they'll be able to eventually take those skills to whatever company they go to next because, you know, no one spends 30 years at a single company. Like, no matter how good of a company you are, like, they will leave eventually, and they'll, leave, they'll stay longer if they're learning things that actually are relevant um, rather than 20-year-old technology.
0: Great. So as we're kind of coming down to uh, the end of our show, I do want to ask one quick question around, uh, your new podcast, because similarly, we're both, uh, both hosts of, uh, of podcasts and I'm just kind of interested about, you know, why you started it. So your, your podcast is called web joy. You've, you've done podcast hosting, you know, here and there over, over the last few years, what was the impetus to, to start web joy?
1: Yeah. So I just noticed, you know, with, with the state of the world and everything online, it just felt like Twitter and tech Twitter, there was a lot of negativity. And I noticed some of that negativity happening inward, like, Oh, you know, your framework is junk. Like this framework is better. why would anyone use, right? Like, like one thing to call yeah. out like tailwind CSS, right? Like people either love it or hate it, but there's a lot of like conflict over it. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, just yeah. let the people who like it, like it. And if you don't like it, like, Talk about the thing that you like instead. And so the idea behind WebJoy was really like, you know what? Like, let's enjoy and experience the kind of diversity of tech, right? And so we do two things. We talk about their origin stories to hear about how different everyone's experiences are. And then we talk about something that brings them joy And the benefit of that is like, yeah, you may hear someone talk about something and you're like, why the heck does that bring them joy? But like hearing them talk about what brings them joy gives you a different perspective on that thing. And so you'll have totally different things that bring people joy and you just get to hear about all of it. And that was really kind of a a platform of trying to just bring some positivity to a time where I was looking and just feeling like sometimes Twitter can just be so like toxic, even among tech Twitter. And I thought this can be a platform for us to all experience and express the joy that technology brings.
0: I love it. I love it. I've definitely listened to quite a few episodes and I think it's a great framework to And platform just to give give people a way and an outlet to express who they are.
1: Awesome. Thank you.
0: Make sure to put that in the show notes so, so folks can go check it out. Sweet. All right, well, on to our last section. Uh, it's called Building Bits and Bytes. It is a lightning round. I ask all my guests four questions. Are you ready?
1: All right, all right, All no one can see me, but I'm. I'm shaking it out. Okay, I'm ready. First question, why do you build software? It really comes down to the fact that I love seeing stuff created from ideas and passion.
0: Who is your cheerleader or your support system?
1: Everyone. See, that's the beauty of Reflect. Anytime someone gives me a compliment, I put it in Reflect and I tag it with my like kudos tag. And so whenever I need a pick-me-up, I go to my kudos tag and I've got all the awesome things that people have said about me. I. I don't actually think that highly of myself, but that note helps me think more highly of myself.
0: Helps you keep going. That's right. Best advice you've ever received?
1: Yeah, I think that's to have a calendar and every day that you wish you weren't at your job, you put an X on the calendar. And when you look and a half your month has X's, it's time to start looking for another job. Interesting. Yeah, I
0: like that any tech or any tools that you're using to help solve everyday problems
1: yeah i mean reflect is definitely like a big one right um yeah so I'll, I'll just say reflect it's it's been amazing i had used it i stopped and then i realized my life was much more chaotic without it so i've been using it the last uh, six months or so again
0: great great well thank you
1: so as we wrap up where can uh, where can people find you on the web yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I kind of have a central hub website. You can definitely find like everything I do from that. It's eddiehinkle.com. And, uh, yeah, besides that, I'm on Twitter at Eddie Hinkle. And, uh, yeah, that's my main communication. I'm on most of the social media platforms, but definitely Twitter is the main one. So yeah, my website or Twitter are the best places to find me.
0: Perfect. And, uh, you're also involved in collab lab and ADP list. Uh, how can people get involved with those organizations to help help the cause?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, Collab Lab is, you know, you can visit them. It's the-collab-lab.codes. And um, yeah, if you either are looking to, you know, like get mentored or if you're looking to mentor, uh, both of those things can happen from their website. It's a great... Great organization, definitely um, recommend it to everyone. And yeah, ADP is adplist.org. And um, that really is a platform. Collab Lab is more like cohort based. And then ADP List is just like kind of a mentor-mentee directory where you can go on and say what kind of mentor you're looking for or what kind of things you want to mentor. And it helps connect mentors and mentees. So definitely recommend those. Excellent.
0: Thank you, Eddie, so much for her for joining me today on the show it's been it's been awesome to talk with you about your journey into tech talking about you know the different types of documentation and how you know we can take some of these tidbits away and create our own successful documentation and definitely going to check out that tool reflect uh, it sounds sounds extremely useful uh, and then you know just just your tips on how to continue and grow and of course your amazing podcast WebJoy. so thank you thank you thank you for being here today
1: yeah thank you so much for having me it's been been a pleasure just chatting and, and doing our thing any final words for the listeners no just uh yeah go out there and just remember everyone is human right no matter if your co-workers your manager your direct reports uh, or that random person on twitter thank you for listening to this episode of building
0: with people for people the unfiltered build podcast please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and if you'd like what you heard please leave a review if you're building something that is interesting and aims to solve a human problem and would like to be a guest on this show, please send me an email at, join the podcast at unfilteredbuild.com. Until next time, go build with people.